Let's continue worshiping with a reading from Acts 10, 1 through 23. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Kim. And today we have the great treat of Gary preaching for us. So come on up, Gary. Good morning, everybody. So every time I come up here, I feel like I've been set up, you know, now. When Chris preaches, Mike comes up here and does the announcement so Chris can hold his own. I got to follow Kim, you know. You just looked at Kim, and now you got to look at me. Mike, I really wish you were up here. I'd feel very, very well, you know. All right, so if you haven't met me, my name is Gary. I'm glad that you guys are here. I am so honored to have another opportunity to share with you guys. Um, I'm going to jump into the scripture on the, on the screen here. It's going to be a continuation of what uh, Kim read for us. But first, let me just summarize a little bit what, what Kim read. Um, in the first part of, of Acts chapter 10, uh, Cornelius, who is a centurion, had a vision, and this is what, what Kim read, and the vision was like, send, you know, send for Peter, you know, so Peter can come and, um, and, and talk to you. So I'm going to pick up in verse 9, I'm going to read from the NIV, not sure what translation is up there, but just follow along with me. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as... Oh, y'all, I mean, I got glasses on. I can't see that well. Okay. <laughs> right, right. Is Mike, oh, Mike's still here. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right, it contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as re, uh, reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was uh, wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? 
The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that you could hear what he, so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guest. The next day Peter started out with them and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. So that story of Cornelius's vision and Peter's vision is a very, very deep truth that God is revealing here in the book of Acts. Let me just take you back a chapter. In chapter nine, I think we're all familiar that Paul had his, uh, his Damascus Road experience. Uh, prior to that Damascus Road experience, Paul was persecuting Christians and the faith was pretty much uh, limited to the Jewish people, right? Paul has his Damascus Road experience and we all know what Paul went on to do. But before Paul goes on to do all of that, you know, it's very, very appropriate in the scripture in Acts chapter 10 that we're talking about uh, uh, Cornelius, who's a centurion, and Peter. So a little bit of background here. Does anybody know what a centurion is? No, you don't, so I'm gonna tell you, okay? <laughs> Uh, a centurion is a Roman soldier who's in charge of a hundred other men. So centurions were, fe were feared and hated by the Jewish people. They didn't mix. And you may ask why? Well, the centurions were the very people that crucified Jesus. They, he was tried, they crucified him, you know, hung him on the tree, mocked him, you know, before he died and all of that. So there really wasn't good synergy between the Jewish and the centurions. But yet God presented a vision to Cornelius and said, send for Peter. At the same time, God is sending P uh, Peter a vision, and we know who Peter is. Peter is one of the disciples. He's a Jew. You know, he denied Christ three times, you know, all of that stuff. But in the vision, what God told him was, I want you, you know, there are animals here. I want you to eat this. So what God is telling Peter is, I want you to go against all tradition, everything that you've learned, and to eat this, these animals which are unclean. And Peter's like, no, I'm not going to do that, you know, because I'm a devout Jew. I follow tradition. You know, this is what I do. I don't do that. God said, no, I want you to don't call anything that I say is clean. Don't call it unclean. You know, the vision, Peter wakes up. He's trying to understand the vision. He runs into these guys, you know, that say that they're looking for him, and they've been sent for him, uh, sent to get him by a centurion. You know, I'm sure Peter's just thinking like, hmm, wow, I wonder... I wonder why, but he internalizes his vision and he says, okay, I'll go ahead and do that. Now, the gist of my message is gonna come from these next 10 verses. So in Acts 10, 24 to 34, I'll read. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea, he being Peter. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So Peter is kind of recalling his vision that God presented to him, you know, with the animals and him eating. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask you why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, three days ago I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. 
Suddenly, a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good for you to come. Now we all are here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Let us pray. Father God, through your story here with the centurion Cornelius and Peter, help us to learn, Father, that you are not a respective person. You do not show favoritism, Lord. Father God, as followers of you, we pray, Father, that we can adopt that same mentality, Father, and not show favoritism in our everyday life. I ask, Father, that this word would penetrate the souls of those who hear it, that, Lord, that they would leave here, not as they came, Father, but feeling drawn closer unto you, in Jesus' name, amen. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. In this context, it's talking about Jews and Gentiles. I like how the uh, different translations of the Bible translate uh, Acts 10.34. The NIV says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. The apologetics uh, Bible says, now I really understand that God doesn't show favoritism. King James says, then Peter opened his mouth and said, of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of person. And the Amplified Bible says, and Peter opened his mouth and said, most certainly and thoroughly, I now perceive and understand that God shows no partiality and is no respecter of persons. I personally like the respecter of persons translation because I think that's something that we all can relate to in our everyday life. Now, if you're like me, when I started preparing this message, you know, probably said, of course, I'm not a respecter of person. I don't show favoritism. You know, I'm right down the middle. I treat everybody the same. I love everybody the same. There's no, you know, there's nobody that I'm going to, you know, put above the other. But just being honest, and I'm sad to tell you that as I looked at my own life and started going through many events in my life, many circumstances in my life, and relationships in my life, the harsh reality came to me that, Gary, you are a respecter of person, and you do show favoritism. I know, right now you guys are saying, so why are you up here talking, right? Because I'm not like, you know, holier than thou and this religious person. But I, I would actually, you know, submit to you that if you're honest with yourself and you really looked at your life and your relationships and how you react to certain people in different situations, that we all are respecter of persons to a certain degree and we, we all show favoritism. So let me go ahead and define what this word respect means. Um, it is what we all want from others and what we hope to offer everyone in return, I would hope. It is the belief that the other person values your opinion, your morals, and your understandings of life, 
even if it differs greatly from their own. Respect means to consider worthy of high regard or to have reference to or seeing someone as more worthy than others. So sometimes we can believe that certain people in our lives deserve more respect or more favor, you know, than others. And what comes to mind, like I would say celebrities, you know, maybe you guys are, you know, like me, you know, maybe there's some celebrities you're in awe of and you feel like, you know, they, they deserve more respect. Uh, maybe it's your boss, you know, you feel your boss needs more respect than maybe a peer or a subordinate. Um, or maybe it's even a family member. Maybe there's a family member, you know, that, that you know that you respect more, show more favor to, treat better, you know, than other family members. But this very treatment of others and this very hierarchical thinking about others and how we treat them is what often causes issues and leads to conflict in our life. Would you agree? Would you agree? Okay, sometimes we believe that certain people, uh, you know, for maybe who they are, their rank in life or whatever, that they're the ones that require, you know, our utmost, you know, attention, that we treat them better, we attend to their needs, but just the regular person, or God forbid, somebody that is disenfranchised or, you know, you know, maybe a widow or an orphan, you know, we just walk right by them, you know, don't think anything of them. However, in scripture, God's mindset towards respect is that he sees all of us the, the same way, that we're loved by him, we're cherished by him, and that, you know, he wants the best for us. Can you really say to yourself that you want the best for everybody that you come in contact with? Just a rhetorical question you don't have to answer. Because if you did, many of you would be walking out the door, including myself. So the way that God sees us is really the way that we should see, see other people. Uh, several times the, the Bible mentions how God doesn't have more respect for some people and less for others as he did in Acts 10.34. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of person. This verse reveals that although some may feel that God owes them more respect than others, and you may think of the Sanhedrin in this case, you know, those who base their faith on their works, on how much they did, and expecting, you know, a, a return gift from God because of what they did and how, you know, devoutly they followed the law. God sees everyone equally and doesn't hold the lives of anyone over another. That's how God sees us. You know, my life is no more important than somebody in Afghanistan right now. Their life is no more important than somebody in Africa. All human lives, God sees us the same. And why? Why would God see us the same? I, I really believe in our human understanding, we can't even comprehend that. Because, you know, we, we have a picture and we have, you know, a mind of our own. And we're like, wow, how can we possibly see everybody the same? But, you know, in the word it says that God starts on our thoughts and his ways are not our ways. So why does God see everybody the same? I'll submit to you a couple of verses. Uh, Romans 3.23 says, we all are sinners and have fallen short of, the, of God's glory or in, in need of a savior. We're in need of a savior who is Jesus Christ to be freed from the sin, from sin and to be united with God. We need Jesus. And that does, it doesn't matter how rich you are, how poor you are, it doesn't matter where you were born, we all need Jesus. That's how Jesus looks at all of us as the same. You know God looks at us as the same. 
Secondly, we all are made in the image of God. They're not some people that were made in the image of God and some people made in the image of some other thing, you know, an idol, the devil, or whatever. We all are made in the image of God. So God loves us all the same, sees us all the same, and wants to treat us all the same. And third, and the one that I think which really separates God, I mean, all of them do, but from our human thinking, is that God hates the sin, but he loves the sinner. That's where we can't make that separation. You know, we look at sin in other people's lives, because God, I mean, we're not going to look at it in our own lives, because we're holier than thou, and we live the right way, and we follow the law, like the devout Jews in the Sanhedrin. We, we do everything according to what's written, right, at least in our own minds, but it's all the other people that cause all the problems in the world. It's never me. It's never me. So we go back to the story. Cornelius began worshiping Peter upon his arrival. Now, why do you think that? Because in that day, the Jews were the chosen people. They were the ones who followed the law. They were the ones who were Jesus' chosen people. Cornelius, being a centurion, sees Peter coming, even though he had the vision, and he starts to worship Peter. But what did Peter do? Peter told him, no, don't do that. I'm just a man, just like yourself. Now, let me ask this question. How many of us, if we were elevated in a social standing, possibly an economic standing, or maybe even a spiritual standing, yeah, we're in church, we can talk about it, would, if it's conventionally known that somebody was not up to where we were in the society, how many of us would say, no, don't worship me, don't, you know, elevate me above yourself? Probably not many. If I were Peter and I went over there, I'd be like, yeah, man, keep it coming. Keep it coming. So you're like, you know what? Yep, bow down some more. You know, because, look, the truth is we all like to be elevated, you know, above where, you know, think of ourselves as better than other people or as more elevated than other people. So after that, Peter went on and... and after he told Cornelius he was just a man, he just listened to Cornelius. Cornelius detailed his vision, and Peter went on to tell uh, Cornelius that, you know, about all the things, you know, about his vision, and that basically God wasn't a respecter of person, you know. But anybody who, treat, who, who pursues God and has an honest heart, you know that God accepts them. This was revolutionary back in that, in that day because it was thought that the Gentiles were on the outside and the Jews were on the inside. So this truth that God showed Peter and Cornelius and all those in his court that were listening, the truth, you know, is that God doesn't view anybody above anybody else, no matter where they're from. God doesn't care if you're from Buckhead or you're from Bankhead, for all you Atlanta local people, right? <laughs> He doesn't care if you're from Beverly Hills or you're from the projects of Cabrini Green in Chicago. He doesn't care if you're from the United States or you're from the United Arab Emirates, okay? He doesn't care if you're from the Bible Belt South or you're from the heart of New York City. If you fear God and work toward righteousness, he accepts you. Whether you're a centurion or whether you're, you know, a widow with two mites, God sees all of you as the same, all of us as the same, and he loves us just the same, everybody. 
Some of you in here listening today may feel like, well, I didn't grow up in the right neighborhood. I, you know, I don't have the spiritual upbringing that other people have or whatever. I'm here to tell you that God loves you. If there's one thing that you need to walk out of here today with is that God loves you. God does not care where you came from, what you've done. He doesn't care about any of that. God loves you. He loves you with an unconditional love, something that you will never be able to comprehend. But God loves you. Okay, now keep in mind, this doesn't mean that because God loves you that he approves of everything that you do. Okay, many of us in here are parents. We love our kids, right? From the moment they came out of the womb and holding them. Now, how many times being a parent, while you still love your kid, did you feel like, I am really not pleased with them right now? Uh, every day, if it comes to my kids, right? I'm every day, okay? But so this is what it is. We need to separate the love that God has for, for us from him being pleased with how we're living, okay? God loves us all, loves us all. He may not be as pleased with all of us the same way, but he loves us all. And the other part of this is, don't make the mistake and think that because God is pleased with how I'm living, that I deserve more of his blessing than somebody else. Doesn't work like that. Now, he may choose to bless you, but it's not because you've earned it or deserve it, per se. It's because of his unmerited grace and his unmerited mercy that, that you are being blessed that way. Can I go a little deeper? Y'all sure I can go a little deeper? I know we're in church. I know we're in church. I want to push this a little bit, okay? Then Peter opened his mouth and said, of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of person. You see, some of us are running around in here thinking that God's favor is limited to groups we belong to because we're so caught up in our own self-righteousness that anyone who dared to oppose what we believe to be true, even if what we believe true, it doesn't align with scripture, okay? And it doesn't align with the word of God. Or even if we need to twist the word of God to believe, you know, that what we believe is true. You know, we think of anybody that dare oppose that, that they're the devil himself or they're the problem, okay? We demonize people, you know, because they don't think like we think. They don't do what we do. You know, they don't walk in the circles that we walk in. You know, for several reasons. I'm here to tell you that God's favor and his love is uncondition unconditional to all he has made, and that's all humankind. I don't care if you're Democrat or Republican. Now, some people are about to walk out, okay? I don't care if you're Democrat or Republican. I don't care if you're male or female, and I'm gonna push this a little bit. I don't care if you're LGBTQ or you're a straight person. I don't care if you're red, yellow, black, or white. We are all precious in this sight, and God loves us, and he doesn't care what you do, where you've been, how you live, he loves you. Now it's on you to receive that love and to live a life that is pleasing to him. There are several other places in the Bible besides the scripture that we just read where, uh, where God shows his impartiality. So I got a couple of verses I want to put up there. Uh, Romans 2, 11 and 12 
says, For there is no respect of persons with God, for as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. In Romans 10.12, it says, For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. Deuteronomy 10.17, now this is Old Testament, and they're still talking about this stuff, right? Way back in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 10.17 says, The Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. And in 2 Chronicles 19.7, it also mentions no partiality with God. It says, Now therefore let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Take care and do it, for there is no iniquity with the Lord our God. No partiality, nor taking of bribes. Now these verses show that God doesn't look at people differently or give blessings and guidance based on who pleases him most. You don't believe me? Well, look at Job. We know about Job, right? Now, Job, you know, devout follower of God, very, very pleasing to God. And look what happened to Job. Look what happened to Job. God saw that Job would stay true even if all his blessings were removed from his life. And just as everything Job worked for, even his own health slipped through his fingers, he still stayed true to God and was abundantly blessed for his faith. So if Job can lose stuff and suffer, you know, for the sake of God, so can I, so can you, so can anybody. Again, God is not a respecter of person. What is revealed is that no one is more deserving of God's blessing than another. We all are his children, made equally in his image, and all to be blessed equally. God isn't impressed with your case that you should be given blessings that others you know, have been given or haven't been given or will soon be given because he sees all in need of his love, attention, guidance, and no, no matter where they are in life. So I'm going to push this a little further. We're in the great United States of America, aren't we? And well, I'm, I'm glad to be here. I love this country. It's a great country. My mother's originally from Liberia, West Africa. I'm going to read these words and see if you recognize them. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. How many people recognize those words? Probably a lot of people recognize those words. That's the preamble to the Declaration of Independence. Tomorrow is August 28th. Probably doesn't mean a whole lot to you guys. Very historic day in my life, just because I'm a history buff. So I'm going to push this a little bit. In August 28th, 1955, there's a young kid by the name of Emmett Till who was murdered in Mississippi. Murdered. I don't know if you guys know the story. There's a movie out about it, okay? 14-year-old black kid from Chicago had some family in Mississippi, and his mother sent him, put a ring on his finger from his grandparents, sent him to Mississippi um, to visit, his, to visit his, his family. 
Now, obviously, Mississippi is the South. Chicago's kind of Midwest. There's a lot more tolerance, you know, racial tolerance in Chicago than there was in Mississippi. What ensued is something that has haunted me for the better part of my life ever since I read the story. He goes into a shop and he had mingled with white people before. He goes into the shop, tries to talk to the lady. Apparently, he, the story is he whistled at the lady. She tells her husband, their brothers, they come in the middle of the night where he stays, take him out, lynched him, throw him in the river, and, you know, just murdered him. His mother, Mamie Till, after hearing, hearing that, she, she wanted, once they found the body who was, that was unrecognizable, she told, uh, she wanted the funeral with an open casket for a reason, so that all the world would see, you know, what happened to her little boy. 50,000 people attended the funeral. 100,000 people walked by that body because they had it laying in state for, for at, the, at the home for three days. And that brought so much momentum to the civil rights movement. Fast forward eight years, August 28th, 1963. Does that date mean anything to anybody? Probably not. August 28th, 1963, these words were spoken in Washington, D.C. Let us not wallow in the valley of despair, I say to you today, my friends. So even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed, that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. Maybe some of you recognize that now. Martin Luther King at the Washington Mall on August 28, 1963. So you see, for me, being an African-American and having endured things, you know, in my life, I wasn't born in 1963. I was born in 1966, so I missed it by a couple years. But having endured things in my life that, quite honestly, none of you could even imagine. And I'm not going to go into all of that, but it's a reality. Why do I bring up all of this? Because as a nation, as Christians, as people, we are very, very good at saying words. I say it, but I don't necessarily mean it. I write it down as part of our law, as part of, you know, whatever, but we don't act on it. Christian folks, I'm talking to you today because I will submit to you that the church today can serve to be some of the most, we can be some of the most divisive people, okay, and all in the name of religion, you know, while all we're doing is respecting other people more than others, showing favoritism in places that it has no bearing, when we should be doing just the opposite. Just like the, the nation, the founding fathers of this nation, and when they wrote the preamble to the Declaration of Independence, it's 
Those are powerful words, but mean absolutely nothing if you're not going to live by it. Everything we say, all the, the talk we talk about Jesus and quoting scripture, you know, and, and walking around like we're holier than thou means absolutely nothing to people out there who are suffering, to the disenfranchised, you know, to the people, to the poor. Jesus spent a ton of his ministry talking about the poor, the widow, the disenfranchised. How much time are we spending trying to lift those people up and love on those people and love them into the kingdom? That's not what we're doing. What we're doing is saying, oh, you're not a Democrat, you're not a Republican, you know, me and you differ. And it's never been as divisive as it is in the country as it is today. Just because somebody thinks differently than you, somebody looks differently, somebody came from somewhere that's different from where you came from, that does not give you the right to look down at that person, to look down on them. As a follower of Jesus, what should be your mandate? To love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And who is your neighbor? Every single person that God has created. Are y'all hearing me? Are y'all hearing me? So one thing I forgot to mention, Chris told me, Chris is not here, so anybody that thought I was Chris, you're, you're, you're in the right place. So generally when I come up to speak, I get to speak about whatever I want, you know, and this time was the same, except Chris told me, Gary, I'm, I'm going to be gone for a couple of weeks, you need to do a series. I was like, nah, nah, I don't do series, man, you know, what, what I do is, you know, I got my notes and I prepare. Like, yeah, I think it'll be good if you do a series. Okay, so I'm going to do a series. So the second part of the series, I say all of that to give you a background. The second part of the series is, and we'll do that next week. So how should we live knowing that God is, is not a respecter of, of people? How should we live? How should our lives look different than possibly they are today because God is no respecter of person? And how can we live showing God's impartiality to others? And I will submit to you that my personal belief is if we as believers could get this one thing right, we would exponentially increase the kingdom of God. This one thing, if we as believers could get it right, just showing no favoritism and loving on God's people like God has loved on us, we could exponentially increase the kingdom of God. And that is at the root of God's heart. He wants all to come into the saving grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we're not going to do that by quoting Bible verses and by standing on principle because, you know, the Bible says this is wrong, so you're shunned. The Bible says this is wrong. And we do all of that without turning our eyes inward and looking at ourselves. And I'll just say this before, uh, before I close. One of the things that just rubs me so wrong among my Christian friends, the church will turn a blind eye to adulterers and all kinds of other sexually immoral sins. But if you're LGBTQ, you are out. We don't want anything to do with you. And no matter how much I try to explain that God hates the sin and not the sinner, I get pushed back and there are all these arguments with people presenting scripture to me or where it says in the Bible, 
and there's just no, no turning them on that single issue. Now, I'm not here telling you that, you know, LGBTQ, whatever, is of the Bible, okay? I'm going to stand on what's in the world. But what I'm going to tell you is that those people deserve love, too. And do you think by shunning those people, whatever group it is, that's just the one I'm speaking of now, is going to bring them into the kingdom? Do you think that's what's going to bring them into the kingdom? No. It's the love of God that's going to bring them into the kingdom. Because guess what? When you were without a Savior and I was without a Savior, despite everything that we have done in our lives, God looked at us and said, I love you, my, my child, and I want you to spend eternity with me. And he looks at no group of people any differently. Let us pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I pray that your words through me today, Father, have touched hearts, Father, and have changed minds. Lord God, we all need our minds to be transformed. Father God, we have one model to look to, and that's your son Jesus, who mingled with prostitutes and the poor and tax collectors mingled with everybody that the law said that was unclean and the disenfranchised. Lord, it is your heart that all your children live eternally with you. Help us, Father, spread your love, and through that love, love people into your kingdom, Lord. Help us to look at ourselves, Father, before we turn and point the finger at others. Challenge us, Father, to look, at, to look for somebody who is different than we are, Father, physically, spiritually, politically, economically, to engage that person, Father, and to share your love to them, Father, so that you can be glorified and your kingdom can be magnified. In Jesus' name.